Good evening, everybody. Can't see you all, but I can tell you're there. Right, all these people in these lines here, I can feel your presence even though I can't see you. There's a big throng of humanity in this room coming to sit and walk and be with your minds and bodies. How are you doing? Is it good? (laughs) Is it bad? Is it kind of hovering in between? Does it change? And without wanting to fit ourselves into any formula, it is not uncommon that on the second day of a retreat of this length that a good number of you may be running in to some of the the thumbs-down things. Not always. I mean, as, as you indicated just then, it's a mixture. But if that's the case, if there has been any dukkha today, Dukkha of mind or body, dukkha of the struggle of how we're kind of pushing and pulling against and with the way things are. If there's been any of that today, it may not be a mistake. It may be something that we can really usefully reflect on, use, and learn what it can teach us, what we can learn. So tonight I want to look a little bit more into the 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 how to be with the how to be with experience but particularly tonight with a difficult experience and I know Rob talked a little bit about dukkha last night so you may be thinking oh no more dukkha it's these damn Buddhists they like their dukkha you know they like their reflection on dukkha and it isn't the whole of the path by any means But it is a doorway that the Buddha points to when he reflected on the Four Noble Truths. The first truth of there is dukkha, there is the unsatisfactory. Understand it. So it is a doorway that we're going to run into here. The form form we use, the sitting and the walking, the quietitude, the the non-distractedness, will run into the places where we push and pull with the way things are. So first place I want to look in is to go in from the top down. And what I mean by that is that it can be that as we deepen in practice, we can really start to investigate and see the way that the the dukkha, the struggle is built in the mind moment to moment to moment. But in the beginning of the retreat, that may not be where we are. Most oftentimes, and equally useful or, you know, very, very important reflection, to see it from the top down. So let's start with what we notice first. And I want to ask you a question. Where is your mind when you're not being mindful? Right, so basically it's a bit of a hard question. What are you thinking about when you don't know what you're thinking about? Right, what's actually the content of all that's going on when you're away with the fairies? Right, where you're, when you're lost, when you're not quite in the immediacy of things. Do you have any idea? 
Well, the good and the bad news is that we do start to get an idea because we start to, to notice. And that can be a little painful, excruciating, um, all kinds of things at first, but it's essentially good news, right? Where is your mind when you're not here? And we start to wake up to that. And as I, I was reflecting for the talk this evening, I remembered something I, I really don't think I've remembered since my very first retreat, since it happened, which was a retreat, well, my first sort of uh, insight meditation retreat, a retreat of three weeks. It was at the old guy house, if any of you have been there. It's this little meditation room. And there was only 12 people on it. So the... Uh, the, um, the, the raw material for making up stories about the other people in the room was limited because there was only 12, right? You've got, you know, you could last a week here making up stories. <laughs> You'd go for a long time, right? And your mind might not do that, but it will go somewhere, right? So eventually, after some days, I realized that, you know, one of those dull moments in the meditation, nothing happening, I wasn't in pain, nothing enlightening, Nothing really, you know, waiting for the bell. At some point I caught myself debating with myself of the people in this room who are uh, from this country, because I knew some of them were from countries where they don't have football. Uh, I wonder what football team these people support. <laughs> right? And at first it seemed really entertaining, it seemed really promising. It's like, oh, I wonder if I get it right, you know. Oh, well, you know, the, and then sort of selecting. So it, it left me down to about three people that looked like they might support a football team. <laughs> Completely my own projection, of course. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, him, probably Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, okay, that would be it. And then go back to my meditation. And, or maybe Tottenham Hotspur. And, you know, in the beginning it seemed like it promised something. And there's a history, you know, coming from a family with lots of brothers. This was a way of being with people, you know, knowing about football, right? But after a few days in the meditation retreat, it's so limiting, <laughs> right? And you can hear it, you can hear the kind of comedy in it, but it's so limiting. You know, I went from three and then down to one and it was down to... And then where did I go? There was nowhere else to go. It was a complete dead end. It wasn't even a proliferation that, that led me into some marvellous fantasy. All I could get, the only chewing, the only thing to chew off the bone of it was maybe at the end I can ask him and see if I'm right. <laughs> and then there you are back in the silence with your own body and mind. It's like, so what? So what? And if we really stay with that, you know, and after time seeing that, it's like what you might notice is that that mental proliferation, and in this case it's a very, very unimportant thing, but that mental proliferation is a kind of cover. It's an activity, a busyness, that is distracting me in that moment from the sense of a kind of a, a desolate, a deficient, missing, lacking Wanting, wanting some connection, wanting something that is not being met. So even if we follow the most mundane thing, and we're not suggesting you follow them, but we're suggesting you might start to notice what's happening, they're kind of, kind of offshoots of that sense really of not being at home. 
And even if those fantasies seem to offer us some juice in the beginning, if you sit here long enough, you'll know how empty they feel because we've lost contact with the immediacy. We've lost contact with the, um, the juice of where our life is. Even though, in that moment, I didn't think where I was was very juicy. I had to make something up. I didn't know how to contact myself beyond the surface at that point. So eventually we get tired of our mind. Have you got tired of your mind? And there's nothing wrong with our minds, actually. Dharma teaching isn't anti-intellectual or anti-the brilliance. The Buddha had a very brilliant mind. But tired of where we're kind of uh, catapulted out of where life is really happening. One man on a retreat usually takes us a while to get there, doesn't it? When we to, to get really disillusioned with all the promises of where we could go. One man, he was a a, a scriptwriter. And, uh, yeah, brilliant scripts. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But on the retreat, we're, we're looking a little further. And after two days, he came to see me, or three days, and said, oh, all this here and now stuff, oh, it's, all, it's all just from the 60s, he thought. I didn't realise there was a longer tradition at that point. Right? Ah, all that here and now, it's from the 60s. I don't go for that. I like going off in my mind, he said. I said, fine. And then after, on the fifth day, I think he came back and he said, help, help, I'm so bored. I'm so bored with it. So the mental proliferation, the way one story spawns another and another and another, or in that first story, it's this very limited kind of just spinning with this kind of boring football story, right, can, <clears throat> at some point we get tired that this is the kind of surface of where we get really busy as a, distra- as a distraction very often from something that may be hard to bear, that may be hard to bear. So I want to present a, f- a formula that uh, was kind of compiled, if you like, by one of the teachers in our lineage that is a useful reflection for ways of and how to be with the difficult, how to be with that which is hard to bear. What does it mean when the Buddha says, understand dukkha, understand dukkha? And her formula goes like this, and it's uh, one of those ones where you have a, a letter at the beginning of each word and it makes its own word. And the word is rain. Right, And I'll say what those four things are and speak a bit more about them. So the first one is recognition. R, R for recognition, you got that? Second one is A, is acceptance. Third one is I, which is investigation. And the fourth one is N, non identification right not well I'll, I'll talk about them recognition 
That means knowing what's actually going on right now. Knowing what's actually going on right now. Do you? Right. Sometimes it's obvious, right? Yeah, I'm listening to a talk. Right? That's one description of what's happening. Coming in closer and closer to meeting ourselves, recognizing what's here in terms of body. Oh yeah, some aches and pains, this and that. Oh yeah, mind, quality of mind is receptive, is not receptive, is blocking, is drinking, is spaced out, whatever it might be. When we're sitting on our own, sitting, walking, without much input, it really it leaves us very much with ourselves. And to get to the stage of recognition, to know, to be able to know, ah, in this moment, it's like this, is actually huge, can be huge. If we're off in the mental proliferation, we're not recognizing what's going on. Let me tell you another story. A long, a long time ago, sitting on a long-ish retreat, I uh, came to the instruction period every morning and there was a few teachers teaching the retreat and one of them I took a dislike to. Right? I didn't like her. Right? You know, that's just some people. That seemed to used to happen, you know, and I thought it was real. That that was a kind of ultimate truth. That I didn't like her. Mm-hmm. And... I noticed, took a while, took really a while to notice. That's what's so humbling, isn't it? It takes us sometimes a real while to know what's going on, to really know what's going on. And first thing I noticed was that um, I was getting hot and bothered, but I couldn't quite recognize that. All I noticed was my mind, and it was going, I don't like her. If, if it was just those other teachers and not her, then it would be a great retreat. You know, it kind of goes to solutions and mind goes to solutions. Or she shouldn't say that about the Dharma. It's, it's not right. It needs to stop. And there was this kind of urgency building and getting kind of hot and bothered under the collar and <laughs> didn't recognize it because I was in my story with it. You know, so is anyone going to do something about this? You know, it kind of expel her. And, you know, it kind of builds. We can get a little bit kind of out there sometimes on retreats. You know, who's going to do something about this? And I was looking around and everyone else was calm and peaceful and serene. And I was the only one seeming to, to realize the truth, right? I was like, what's going on here? And then a few days would go by, hearing the instructions, hearing her comments. I'd leave the meditation hall kind of ranting. And that kind of, um, you know, that sort of... Um, uh, satisfaction you get from being righteous. Anyone ever had that? <laughs> that kind of sort of stomping off, oh, I know how it should be, it shouldn't be like this. And then after day five or whatever it was, finally, finally, some beginnings of recognition. All right? And recognition in that case was realizing everyone was fine. She wasn't suffering. They weren't suffering. Who's suffering here? Oh, it's me. 
right? And all the ways I'm trying to move away from that, to get into the story, to, to make a solution, because actually what's happening right now is there's something hard to bear. There's something hard to bear in my experience here and now, and I'm wiggling and maneuvering and doing my utmost not to feel it, not to recognize it, not to acknowledge it. So after five days, I had remembered a question that one of my teachers had said, who's suffering here? You know, because when we can have the tendency to put it all out there, oh, it's me. And I stopped and I stayed and she left and the other yogis left and I was sitting in the meditation hall and began to recognize what was happening. It was the beginnings of recognition. And recognition takes that, what it takes for us to recognize is the humble, the kind of humility of um, that maybe I don't know everything about this. The humility of looking to the experience, looking to the my mind solution, looking to the problem out there and making the shift and taking responsibility of where the suffering actually is right now, in that case, here and now. It's not to say there aren't situations where we need to respond. Of course we do. But this wasn't one of them. Right? So a med- meditation retreat is a perfect place for really seeing the way the mind can really proliferate what we could say as a way of moving away from what is hard to bear here and now. The Buddha said that fools, F-O-O-L-S, fools, seek for experience. We want to have more experience or the right kind of experience, etc. The wise seek to understand it. And it's a big shift. It's a big shift from trying to get it all right, my meditation right, the conditions right, to, oh, can I see if I can understand what's going on? Stand under it. Examine. So recognition, we're back, we're on to the rain now. Recognition. The words that go with this, I like very much, which Ajahn Samedo teaches, <coughs> very simple. Recognition is when we can turn toward experience and say, oh, it's like this. It's like this. Not how I think it is, which is she needs to go. It's actually like this, and what it is that it's like this in this moment, in that story, was I was hot and angry. Ever been hot and angry? I was hot and angry. Recognition allows us to start to recognize that for what it is in immediacy, and what it is in that moment is hot. It has a story. It has the emotional quality of anger to it. The heart rate was faster, sort of sweating, kind of expansion in the arms and legs. The kind of uh, excitable body 
mind. Oh, it's like this. And as we turn to recognize it's like this, we begin the journey of understanding dukkha. Up till then, we're kind of swimming around the edges, if you like. Oh, it's like this. And there's often a big relief when we can turn towards it. Oh, it's like this. Yeah, yeah, I think I don't like it. But actually, what's happening here? This is dukkha in this case. This is dukkha. Sometimes recognition, we can use a label. Like we can use the cognitive mind to have a little word that helps us, supports the recognition. Oh, it's heat or hardening. I think there was some hardening in that as well. You know when your body hardens around certain things that are happening. Might be a completely different different experience for you. As you turn to recognize it's like this, it might be that you feel very fluid, like that there's some emotion that's really moving through you, or very soft, or very hard, or very contracted or brittle. In the second, in the um, first foundation of mindfulness. When the Buddha talks about being with body as body, he offers us to recognize what's happening here and now in terms of the elements that our body is made up of. So recognize when it's hot and cold. Recognize when it's solid and firm or where that becomes hard and contracted. Recognize when it's fluid and malleable or where it gets sticky. Recognize when it's airy and light. So coming to meet it in terms of sensation is not a denial of that sometimes we need to act, that we don't turn every life situation into body sensations. <coughs> right? But it's recognizing that when we're practicing, this is a place we can really learn. We can really learn. We can look at it in terms of the physical pain that is very normal if we sit for long. The discomforts, even from the small itches to the chronic pains, to the acute pains, to the pains that just arise when we're sitting, that feel like the kind of um, fruit of having carried our body in a certain way for many years, you know, of being a uh, bent over a little bit or um, sticking our chest out to be stoic and together or whatever we've done, however our mind has taken shape in the body. Not that all physical things are about that, but the when they are, we can start to see that. Another time uh, experiencing intense pain in my arms over a very many retreats over a number of years very very intense pain in the between the um, elbow and the shoulder on both sides like you know like the story of it and the picture and the imagination was as if somebody was had a vice around both my biceps if you like kind of really really tight 
Okay, here it is. It's not what I want. Is there any way I can get away from this? Yeah, I could. Is there any merit in being with it? Well, I've heard there is from the teachers. I don't feel like it right now. Okay. Can I recognize what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, it's like um, tearing and burning in my arms. Can I meet that with bare attention? Right? Can I recognize what's actually here? That way I step out of the... um, Yeah, in a way, I make I start to make the spiritual journey, which is the shift from um, trying to invest in experience as my refuge, as Rob was talking about, to turning towards it to understand it. How is it made up? What's going on? It's very important with pain to uh, with physical pain. To really examine what am I cultivating here? There is incredible merit if we can use it as part of our path. Sometimes it is overwhelming, sometimes it is too much, and if we need help, sometimes It's overwhelming and it's okay that we get overwhelmed. Sometimes it's overwhelming and we need to move away. We need to get some relief. But very often it can be a place like the the kind of um, the chemistry lab where the magic of alchemy can happen. Last night Rob said there was no magic. I think we could equally say that there is, that there's something that really can um, be seen very, very differently. And this is quite magical. So I want to tell you two things. Let me read you this one first. This is from one of my teachers. Someone asked him, how come it's so difficult How come there's so much pain? He said, it's true you have pain, but you see it as bad. But it is bad only if you think that the whole thing is a problem. If you look at the thing from the perspective that it is a situation to learn from, then in a sense it is simply a chemical reaction. In a chemistry lab, you have all kinds of things, many different substances, Bunsen burners and instruments which are used for the various processes of heating, evaporation, condensation and coagulation. You could say, oh, I really don't like this heating up part of the process. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to get rid of it. But if you get rid of it, how can you have any chemical reaction? Can you imagine having a chemistry lab without fire in it? Without heat, nothing would happen. So sometimes we feel the heat here, either literally feel the heat, or it's the heat of just staying with, staying with, staying with. We'll feel like we'll explode if we have to be with another breath, we'll stay or perceive another sensation. 
And this bit is from Philip Kaplow Roshi, Zen master. Reflecting on what he learnt from the meritorious aspect of being with pain, where it is for merit and it's not just to become a kind of stoic martyr. He said, what did I learn from the pain I endured in Japan? Right, so this was probably sitting, I don't know, 12, 13 hours a day, whatever. He said, I learnt that when one is in the wholehearted pursuit of an ideal, pain is not resented. It can provide an unparalleled opportunity for growth and maturity. Pain is the fire in which the dross of our personality, the loathings, the desires, the doubting, the fears, is burned away and the mind is tempered and strengthened not unlike brittle metal, annealed into steel. Moreover, he said, when pain, which the Buddha proclaimed as one condition of existence, is courageously accepted, it is a means to liberation in that it releases our natural sympathies and compassion and thus enables us to experience pleasure and joy with new depth and purity. So, A for acceptance. A for acceptance when we turn toward that which is hard to bear. Ah. What might it mean to say, welcome? Welcome. Yep, you too. You're welcome. This sensation, this feeling, this mind state. You are welcome. Yep, it's hard to bear right now and you're welcome. And if just in a moment doesn't have to mean that we're suddenly transformed into a saint. It's a practice. A practice of welcoming. As we turn toward experience in this way, a few things happen. One is, it might reveal all the places where we really don't want to welcome it will make that really clear, right? So as you know, and you all know about, I'm sure you all know about turning toward experience and accepting. It's not, it's not a new teaching, right? But exactly what that looks like, exactly how to work with that is an art, right? So as I turn and contemplate the possibility of accepting, oh, it's like this, it's like this, and I turn toward it. I turn toward it. It may reveal... No, I do not accept this. As I turn toward the possibility of accepting this arm pain, for ages I noticed, no. This kind of like little (sighs) pit bull, kind of teeth in, biceps out is probably part of the problem. Biceps out, no. Right? I will not accept this pain. Right? 
such was the habit of the momentum, which you may have a different momentum, we all have different kind of versions of how we have dealt with the difficult, but no, I will not accept this, I will not feel this. Right, this kind of hardening. It will reveal that. And then it can also reveal all our judgment. But you're supposed to be a good meditator. You're supposed to welcome it. And then you give yourself a hard time and then you feel yourself trying to be kind to the pain but actually you hate it. You know, It just shows up kind of all the dross in a way. It shows up all the dross. It kind of lets that burn through. That's one way of looking at it, that we can see that. If I turn towards the possibility of welcoming... It will also include welcoming our absolute non-acceptance. What does it mean that acceptance doesn't mean that suddenly we're always completely open, but that we can discern, recognize and turn toward and accept our non-acceptance. I will not have this. I do not want this. Our resistance. this too can be welcomed. We can welcome our hardness. We can welcome our martyr tendencies. We can welcome our kind of stoicism. We can welcome our collapse in the face. It's just too much. I can't bear another sitting. Okay, you're welcome. You too, you're welcome. It doesn't mean we have to believe always what our mind is telling us but it means that we can recognize and kind of warmly invite in what is actually here. Probably most of you know the, um, I assume, because I've heard it a million times, the poem from Rumi, where he talks about welcoming experience. He says, it's called The Guest House. Again, and it's 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 a framework, it's another view And it could be a useful view as a way of seeing your sitting here. It says, this being human is a guest house. Every moment, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. She may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the sorrow, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door, laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. And I have to say that in those in that early retreat where I didn't like this teacher, I didn't make it to the welcoming her. Right? That's a, an, a longer story. I didn't make it there. So we don't have to hear that and suddenly think we're supposed to be, you know, have halos by the time we've gone from recognition to acceptance. Right? It's a process. It's a, something where we learn. But I did. What I could do was stop believing that it was all about her. Right? 
that I could accept, that I could turn towards and recognize, oh yeah, the struggle is here. The struggle is here and it actually seems a little disproportionate to what's going on here. Have you ever noticed that on retreat? can sometimes proliferate into something quite... uh, I don't know what the word would be. No, disproportionate. It's the only word I can think of. So recognizing what's happening, welcoming it. And that's where the quality of our attention is can start to be infused with the metta, the friendliness. And when that friendly quality is turned towards that which is painful and hard to bear, then it's the response of compassion. Compassion is, we could say, the friendly heart when it's turned towards something which is hard to bear, here or out there. Welcoming may have a quality of tenderness to it, or gentleness, or warmth. Sometimes, sometimes it's simply the absence of fighting. Right? We've put down our judgment. We've seen all the places where that shows up. Where I'm not doing it right. I can't do it. You'll never be able to meditate. You'll never be able to welcome anything. We've put that aside, and we've stopped the the battle. We've put the fight down. This is the beginnings of welcoming. It's interesting in the the language that the Buddha uses. Um, when he, when he talks about these, uh, well, lots of words, actually, but if we look at the formulation of the three wise intentions that Christina spoke about on the first night, the intention toward loving kindness in the language, original language, it's not worded in the positive, it's worded in the negative, i.e. the intention towards non-hatred. Right? And I used to really like that. Kind of took a whole pressure off. Great, phew, I don't have to be a saint here. I don't have to be kind or welcoming. I just have to see where the hatred is and see if I can understand that, see if I can find a new response. And that gives us a lot more um, scope for really knowing and cultivating what true friendliness, friendliness is from your heart. Not friendly like it has to look from someone else being friendly, not friendly like it looked when you were seven, but friendly of what's relevant to you here and now. It's very current that this practice isn't trying to make us a facsimile of someone else, keeping it really current. What can I welcome right now? So moving on to I, investigation, to investigate the dukkha. If the words for recognition are, it's like this, the words for acceptance are something like, yeah, the words for acceptance would be something like, welcome, you never have to change. You don't have to change at all. That's real acceptance. Right? When we're not kind of, right, yeah, it seems really funny, right? It's funny. (laughs) 
right? How often is the acceptance that unconditional? And you can hear from Michelle's laugh, right? But of course we want it to change. Of course I can't just accept, the example I like is, you know, I can't just accept all my husband's bad habits. You know, it would be stupid, right? It's not asking us not to make a response. It's real acceptance. It's like this, stay forever. Because actually that's about our heart. It's about our heart that's saying you don't ever have to change. And that in that very welcoming attitude, we can come closer. We can start to investigate. We can get curious. So the words that would go with investigation would be something like, okay, so here we are. It's like this. You never have to change. I might as well find out all about you. Right? Till death us do part. What's going on here? What's going on here? What happens if I pay attention like this to you? What happens if I pay attention like that? Where do I feel it in the body? Is it in my heart? Is it in my belly? What's actually going on that we can bring this light, curious quality to being with experience? Then we can find out really how it gets built how the sense of struggle is something that is uh, given rise to in this very moment. It's a funny thing with acceptance, you know. If we say, okay, you never have to change, that can really only come, that that unconditional acceptance can really only be there when we start to have some question mark, some doubt about the fixed view that we have, that the suffering that is here right now is somehow an ultimate truth. Do you ever have that experience? That what's difficult right now has its own existence. It's like this on whatever day it is, Monday of the retreat, and that means I'm stuck with this for the rest of the week. Right? That's what it means. It means we... We've forgotten. We don't remember. We start to treat it as permanent. When we can start to have a little room around that, we can say, stay as long as you like. Because we're not threatened by the things that arise and pass. So back to the first story, when I began to investigate that I recognized the suffering was here, that I had accepted, okay, it's like this, turning towards it, welcoming myself in that condition, then I could start to investigate, coming close. Oh, if I don't judge this, if I don't judge myself and I don't judge her, then what happens is my experience starts to reveal itself to me. I start to see this hot and angry, bothered, kind of righteous one. I start to breathe. I start to pay attention. And the experience starts to change. It started to change in that moment to reveal a kind of a pain in the heart, a sorrow, a hurt, that I was defending desperately against feeling and making up the story about her 
Oh, so if I pay attention like this, it starts to open up. Oh, that's interesting. What happens if I pay attention in this way? What happens if I pay attention in that way? And there can be the possibility of a kind of playful lightness as we investigate how our experience is made up. We want to know all about it. And I want to read you this uh, piece about this quality of starting to become curious about our experience. When we are curious, we are completely whole and happy. We are doing what we are made to do. We are not engaging in things that bring us more and more suffering and frustration. We are engaged in something that frees the heart and the mind without even seeking that freedom. Have you known that? That when you're curious about something, it's a very happy experience. And in practice, we can even start to be curious about that which seems like it's in the way. That which I have deemed as this has to get out of the way, like her, or this pain, or this mind state, or this peculiar smell, or this irritating sound, that which appears to be in the way can become the object of our curiosity. The process itself of curiosity has a freedom. You are free every moment that you are completely curious. You're completely in love. And what are you in love with? It doesn't matter. Whatever happens to be here right now, You're in love with it. You're completely in love with your existence. You're completely in love with whatever is presented to you. And you love it so much, you want to know everything about it. (coughs) And we might think, poor, that's a bit of a tall order. I just came for some peace and quiet here at Gaia House. And suddenly I'm supposed to recognize, (coughs) accept, be like a saint and fall in love with all my pain. Right? It's not like that at all. It's, this is kind of offering a, a framework of possibility because I don't think these things are unknown to you to actually begin to get curious. What brought you here? Are you curious about anything in your experience? What are you curious about in your life? Or what have you been curious about if you, do, if you aren't in touch with that factor of investigation and curiosity right now? Because it's not permanent, it doesn't always stay around. When you've known it in your life, what's it like to be really curious, really into something, wanting to find out all all about those kind of flowers or, you know, this kind of person or that kind of practice or, you know, that the quality itself draws us closer. And finally... The non-identification, the end for non-identification, this is really a kind of key pin in the Buddha's teaching. Not identifying with our experience, he said, nothing whatsoever should be considered as I or me or mine. Nothing whatsoever should be clung to as I or me or mine. So this experience that is 
unfolding moment by moment as you sit with your own body and mind. This pain, this peace, this interest, this complete lack of interest, this love, this hate. Nothing whatsoever should be clung to as I, me or mine. And more will be said about that during the retreat. This is a, this is a huge um, investigation and understanding. But what we can start to see as we turn towards and recognize what's happening, it's like this, we start to open to acceptance of what's here, of beginning to welcome all things, that we might start to get interested. You know, as, we, as we're mindful... You've, you've probably all seen this. As you're mindful, first few days of walking meditation, you know, you might just be putting in the work, right? Because you know either someone's told you it's good for you or you know that for yourself, right? So you kind of put in the legwork, as it were. And you've probably, those of you who have sat longer retreats before, might know, oh yeah, that which in the beginning doesn't seem very interesting soon becomes interesting, when we really give ourselves mindfully to something, interest and curiosity is a natural factor of mind. It gets cultivated. It's not a miracle. It's, in a way, a fruit of putting in the legwork, of just keeping hanging in there with an interested attention or not interested attention. And slowly, slowly, that factor of curiosity starts to build. And as we work in this way, we invariably don't take the experience so personally. Taking it personally, which means identifying with it as me, is like in the beginning of that story, when I think it's all about her and this needs to happen. Right? This is the way things are. This is the truth. She needs to go and life will be better. Right? I mean, I'm making it sound very gross here. That's the identification. The recognition itself of what's happening is already breaking apart that sense of this fixated sense of self. The acceptance, the turning towards the welcoming is already has some knowledge, some faith that there is more to life than this fixated little sense of my separate self. And the investigation, it's already working at that level that is beyond just that small, finite, limited shell that we sometimes feel we're in, looking out at the rest of the world. So non-identification, we'll get to that. Somebody asked a question yesterday about um, where is the reflection on dukkha and karma and impermanence? Where it, basically, where is it helpful and where is it not helpful? Where is it just kind of dr- not only being driven by fear but is kind of perpetuating more of that? And when is it actually helpful? And what are the indicators of that? And in reflection, what I could say in response is the indicators of that are when we're trying to get rid of experience, when we're averse to what arises and we think the path is to make it all go away. 
forgetting that the heart of acceptance can also is actually saying welcome 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 this is hard to bear and you're welcome right now so i want to finish with a story that i think every meditator should hear right probably many of you've heard it before and it's a story from one of my teachers Ajahn Sachito. He says, he said, and this is taken as an extract from one of his talks that he gave a very, very long time ago, actually, 1991. Many years ago, I had this particular pain in my right shoulder. I would sit. Pain, I would think. So he's got the recognition part, right? Pain, I would think. Be with the pain, that will do it. Here I am being with the pain, being with the pain. It's not working, you know. Maybe I need to do some yoga. Ah, that's got it. Oh no, more cushions. One cushion, two cushions, three cushions, four cushions. Angle the cushions to the left, angle the cushions to the right. Doctor, you've got to help me. Chiropractor, osteopath. Five years I had this pain. I had an extremely active and ingenious mind at trying to find every possible way to wriggle out of the fact that pain hurts and I don't like it. A very obvious truth, yet I hadn't actually come to that, except what one glosses over in a few words. I don't like pain. Instead, I had acted on I don't like pain. I hadn't actually examined the experience of not liking pain. I tried to think, well, you should like pain. Pain is good for you. Pain is bad. Make it go away. But I hadn't really looked into, I do not like. One day, sitting in meditation, I thought, this is it, the showdown. I'm going to sit here for five hours and I'm going to get over this thing. Pain, pain, wriggle, wriggle. Why did I say that? Why five hours? After all, the middle way and all that. Hours go by, two hours, three hours, three hours and one minute. After about four hours, I was so sick of this pain, my mind had been through all the various circuits of be nice to it, be friendly with it, kill it. And it came back to, oh God, this pain. And finally the mind just rested. It got tired out, I guess. Ignorance does get tired out after a while and has to take a break from being ignorant. And instead of ignoring and repressing it, actually began to open to it. Without the, let's open to it and make it go away. Or, let's open to it and that will make me go into some kind of cosmic space. But just, oh, all right. Then I began to see this sensation throbbing away. And it began to appear in my mind as a kind of glowing light. Throbbing, tearing a tearing experience. And then because of the choice less attention to it, I began to notice, well, there's that. And then there's this terrible kind of no, no feeling going on. Ah, resistance. Then with that, a whole lot of bitterness towards the body, bitterness towards pain. Oh, pain, I don't like it. It shouldn't happen to me. What did I do? I'm just sitting here trying to be peaceful. Pain, go away. And this kind of moaning mind. 
as I contemplated my relationship to the sensation, it became clear to me that there was nothing I could do with the sensation, but I could stop beating it with my mind. I began to have this experience of deep regret for all the beatings and the kickings that this mind had imposed upon life, upon this body, upon itself, upon its thoughts, telling it to shut up, telling it to be this way, and I felt like my whole system was some kind of mangy dog that had never really been loved and had just been told what to do and beaten. And in fact, this vision arose in my mind of this dog, a kind of mangy, hungry wolf, looking at me saying, how long are you going to keep beating me for? I felt this sense of deep regret that there should be so much intolerance and hardness towards life. In my mind's eye, something in me reached out to this creature and started to pat it and to say, please forgive me. Then this creature turned into a cartoon dog and we were dancing. Me and this pain. Me and the pain. And then the whole thing just exploded. Very gently. And the pain disappeared. It seemed to say, thank you. Finally, I've been knocking on your door for five years. Thank you for opening. Thank you for recognizing that the problem was, I do not like I will not accept. I will not open to you. And once you open, the lesson has been learned. The business is finished. So let's sit for a moment together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.